Okay, in Ephesians, we are in the last chapter. We're coming to a close in our study on this awesome book. And we have noted thus far in our study that Paul has presented to us, um, as he does in all of his epistles, actually, doctrine and then duty. Or some say principles and then practice. And he does this in every, almost every epistle. I can't think of one that's an exception where he doesn't give us first the, the principles, the doctrine, the duties, uh, or, or, or the, the, the facts of Christian life, and then how to live it and the application of it. And that's what we've been looking at here the last few weeks in Ephesians as we come down to chapter 6 is the practical application of all that Paul has taught us and prepared us for. Now, beginning back in chapter 4, verse 25, we saw this long string of present tense verbs. And those indicated to us that there was a... um, a series of things that we were to do on a repetitive basis. In other words, don't ever get tired of doing it. Doing it. Just do it over and over and over. Stay away from there. Look what he's it's causing trouble again. Yeah. Over and over and over, we see these things presented to us. He told us that we are to continue to speak the truth, We should continue to not steal anymore or to refrain from all evil talk. We are to not grieve the Holy Spirit or we are to be habitually kind to one another. Uh, To have a walk characterized by love, not having any suggestiveness of immoral actions. And these are things over and over, repeat. Uh, it's, It's difficult for any of us in the situation in which we live in this world to maintain that on a, on, a, on a regular basis. And so consequently, if we fail, we confess. We make things right with the Lord or with the person, and then we move on. We continue on. It's a repetitive thing, present tense. We're to be continually doing these things. Husbands, we said, were, or, or wives, rather, were, were be uh, subordinating to their husbands. Husbands were to be loving it to their wives, and so on. In essence, in short, we can just say we are to be in the total will of God at all times. And that requires a constant repetitiveness of doing these things. And these are only the ones mentioned in Ephesians. And not only that, these are only the ones mentioned by Paul. We still have James and John and Peter and Jude and the writer of Hebrews. And all of these and the things that they admonished us to do in our Christian life. Of course, they repeated themselves sometimes, but sometimes one person would mention something that none of the others would mention regarding how to live and walk as a believer. 
But when he comes to verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in verse 11, he says, put on. Put on is an aorist tense. All of a sudden, we come to this decisive action rather than these repetitive actions that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And quite frankly, I find that a very refreshing thing because when I look back at all these things, and I've done this many times, I've thought making lists of all these things that, you know, that Paul tells us to do and John tells us to do and Peter and, and so on and Jude. And I mean, you come up with this list, you know, of all these things that we're supposed to be doing as a Christian, and you think, how in the world can anybody do all of these things all at the same time on a continual daily basis? And yet, that's what God wants us to do. But we find here that he's provided the means and the resource to be able to do those things. And he indicates this by putting on the whole armor of God. Now, you might know that, well, Paul was in prison when he wrote Ephesians. Some He had a Roman soldier in mind as he was giving these details about the armor, and I I'm hoping I can save those for another day when I can get into those in more detail. But my point being here is that the whole armor is that a soldier went into battle fully geared up. He had everything on that he needed to be strong, to be mighty, to be, you know, it's almost like, you know, you get all this stuff on, you're ready to enter the fight, and your adrenaline just starts to flow. Good buddy, I am now ready to go. That's not good Bible language, buddy, but uh, it'll work for us. But he's fully prepared. He has the whole armor on. And in this indication of putting on the armor is a, is a one-time thing. We should only have to put it on one time. Now, of course, sometimes we let our guard down, we disengage ourselves from the fight, and we let other things in the world distract us, and we're off doing other things, and we just forget all about the fight we're in. And we just go hum, hum along in our Christian life, like everything is just wonderful until something comes along, upsets our little apple cart, And all of a sudden, we realize, hey, the fight has not been over. It's still here. I I am very, very sure that you are just like our family. (laughs) Because our apple cart's been upset (laughs) more than once. And it's still being upset. And was upset just this week by things we did not expect, we didn't see it coming, and didn't have any preparation for it. But the battle's real. The battle is very, very real. And this armor that we are to put on, it's just like in, our, in, our, in, in the Roman army, 
when the soldiers were called to war and they went down to the armory to get their gear, that was where they had access to that which would empower them in the battle. Now, of course, they had been through all sorts of training and preparation for battle, but they weren't about to enter battle without anything on. They went empowered because of the defensive gear they had on and the offensive weapons that they carried with them. And so they were set. They didn't put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. They put it on in preparation for a battle. And they left the gear on until the battle was over. And our battle is not going to be over until the Lord comes. This battle will not be over until Satan is removed from his throne and cast down. And the Lord Jesus takes his rightful seat as ruler of this world and establishes his kingdom over this world rather than the kingdom of Satan. Turn with me, if you will, over to Revelation chapter 12. I think most of you know that that's a familiar passage regarding Satan's overthrow. And beginning in verse 7, we see a great battle taking place here. In verse 7 it says, And there was war in heaven. There's war in heaven. A big fight going on here. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. Can you imagine, even in the depths of your mind, try to just think what spiritual warfare in the heavens between good angels and evil angels, what that must entail. Do they have guns? Are they fist fighting? They have swords? How do, how, do, how do angels, how do spirit beings fight against each other? But it's a war nonetheless. And victory is important. Matter of fact, in verse 8, the dragon, it says, prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Boy, what a great and wonderful day that's going to be for us when he is removed. And we don't have to wear this armor that Paul is going to be telling us about in the next few verses anymore. And war will finally be done and peace will ensue. Verse 9, he says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. What a cleansing is going to be in that day when heaven is removed of all the evil that is there today. You know, we tend to think of heaven... We just tend to think of good. But that which rules over the earth today is nothing but evil. And that evil 
has infiltrated every part of the cosmos, every part of the world system, and it governs and controls men. And it incites men to do things that are against God, just as we saw this past week. Or maybe it was the week before, I don't remember. It was the week before, it's been a couple weeks now. And they do things with no thought whatsoever of the consequences to God in heaven. And so in verse 10, he says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. This is why the armor has to be put on and left on. We can't take it off. It cannot be removed. We should never let it down. As if we wanted to take a rest from the battle. As if we wanted to say, Lord, I just, I just want to quit for a little while. You can't do it. You cannot give space to the devil in your Christian walk and expect that you're going to be an overcomer and come out victorious. It won't work. But there is coming a day when it's going to happen. Now, the point of this all is, though, is that God has won the victory. We know that. The victory is ours. But you notice what he says, and I get back here to keep your finger in in, uh, Revelation 12. And we go back to Ephesians and chapter 6. And he says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. You see, what we are called to do here is to stand. To take our stand against the wicked forces that are all around us in this world. To run forward, you know, charging pell-mell into battle and throwing our fists, you know, right and left and trying to pummel the enemy. We're to stand fast where we are. Matter of fact, that makes me think of Richard's ministry. He calls it Stand Fast Ministries. If you look at his prayer letter out there, Stand Fast Ministries. That's what we're to be doing in this day and age. Stand. And that word stand simply means what you and I would imply or think that it means. To take a firm place, to get down here, stand someplace, and then occupy that spot and don't let anything move you. And in particular, of course, in this case, don't let the devil move us. Don't let Satan, the old dragon, move us from our position in Christ, shake us in our faith, or try to detract us from the goal of our faith, which is the saving of our soul, as Peter tells us. 
the saving of our life, passing through every trial and every test so that in the end we will come out victorious and we will be called up alongside Christ to share in his rule and reign in his coming kingdom. So the battle is very real, Paul's telling us, and the enemy is very real, though we can't see them, but it's a battle nonetheless. We see the effects of that war. We feel the effects of that battle sometimes. And we're not to back down from the enemy. We are to be willing to engage him right where we stand. Now, some people think, well, this means I need to go charge full steam ahead and just take the devil on and, you know, (laughs) tear everything apart and I'm going to get the victory and, you know, It doesn't work that way. Stand your ground is another expression some translations use with regard to this this, uh, word stand. Stand your ground. Don't be moved. Now, back over in Revelation, in verse 11 it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They didn't even shrink back from death. Just like a a soldier entering into battle with no fear of what was to happen. Considering death a small, minor thing for the honor of the battlefield. I just finished reading about eh, a week or two ago, I guess, a book called Rebel Yell, and it was about the life of uh, Stonewall Jackson, a most interesting life. (laughs) The subtitle was something like The Violence, The Passion, and maybe it was The Religion, I can't remember, of Stonewall Jackson. He was an enigma to me. Because he was a staunch Presbyterian, and he, and he was very conscious in his daily life about praying over everything. I mean, right out in the middle of battle, he would be riding out in front, and he'd be holding his hand up while he was riding, which everybody knew that was an indication he was praying while the bullets were flying. And believed that God's will took preeminence over everything. And yet, when it came to the battlefield, his attitude was against the enemy, which of course, us Yankees up north, kill them all. That's what he said. Kill them all. Paul's not talking to us like that in that kind of language. He's talking about taking a stand as a believer, putting on God's armor, and making use of his armor for the purpose of enduring the trials, the tribulations, the onslaughts of Satan, his fiery darts. That's another expression that Paul took from Roman fighting. They took pitch 
and put it on the end of an arrow, and then they would light it and then shoot it at an enemy. And a Roman soldier had to be prepared for that, you know, because he had his armor on, and uh, underneath that armor he had this um, long leather, thick leather apron that was supposed to help absorb the impact of swords and arrows with, had fire on them. And so sometimes those arrows would hit and stick, you know, and the old idea was is then the pitch would stick and then the guy would be on fire. So he'd have to step out of line and go to the back of the line while the fight was going on and get the fire put out before he could enter back into battle. So Paul warns us about the fiery darts of the devil. His attempts to put us out of the race is very real. His attempts to end our walk with Christ is as real as anything there is in the Christian life. He wants to see us defeated. Now, in concert with that, though, when he says, put on the whole armor of God, then that tells us something about the access we have to God's power as we enter the fight. He has the resource there to enable us to be successful in the battle. So put on, once and for all, put on the whole armor of God, everything that he's made available. And Paul, when he mentions all this armor down here in verses 13, all on down through about verse 17 and 18, he, he is mentioning all the armor that a soldier would put on. He's not leaving anything out. And so for us, we are to put on every piece of armor that God makes available to us. And then he says that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The strategies, the trickery, or the craftiness of the devil. Being the wise supernatural being that he is, he's always looking for a crack in our armor, a weak spot that he can penetrate and have access to us, to weaken us, to knock us out of the race, to cause us to fall. But it doesn't have to be that way if we stand strong in the battle. But it, it, his trickeries and craftiness, his strategies, or his methodia, because that's the Greek word, it's where we get our word method. His methods are, are very underhanded. And he knows where our weak spots are. And sometimes we don't even know where that weak spot is. But most of the time we do. We know what to watch out for. We know what to stay away from. We know when we shouldn't be watching this or reading that or going to this place or getting involved with this organization or any one of a number of other things that we know would be a temptation for us. I think I maybe have told you the story one time when we were, I was just, well, first time we went to Nassau. I mean, I I think I've told you how what greenhorns we were. Janet and I going went down to Nassau, and 
boy, what an introduction to life that was for us. And um, a visiting preacher came down one time, and honestly, on this whole island, there's about two things I used to tell people you could do. One is you could go to the beach, or three, I guess, or you could go out to eat, or you could go walk through the casino and just look at it. So we used to go over there sometimes, and we'd be awed by that thing. Now, at the time, in 1975, that was the largest casino in the Western Hemisphere. And they had this humongous big chandelier hanging down there. Well, we'd never seen anything like that. So when, and we weren't the only ones, and I mean, other missionaries there, when visiting preachers would come, sometimes they'd say, well, let's go take a walk through the casino, and we'll show you this chandelier, and watch people throw their money away, putting their nickels in the slots, and so on. And that was an easy thing for me to do. I, I had no care in the world whatsoever for a casino. I could walk through that, and it didn't bother me one bit. But this visiting preacher said, I cannot go there. He said, I was a card-playing shark when I got saved. And he said, that would be too big of a temptation for me. And, and I, was, I was awed by that. I was struck. I thought, wow, I never even thought about such a thing. It, it was just like, to me... I could, who could care less about a casino? But this guy knew where he shouldn't be. And that's how we have to be. We need to know what we shouldn't be doing and where we shouldn't be going and who we shouldn't be involved with. Staying away. Keeping ourselves protected. Well covered from everything that the devil wants to do and finding that weak spot in order to destroy us. Now, Another thing I wanted to mention there that Paul says in verse 12 is, for we wrestle not. You know, this is a, not a warfare of guns and cannons like uh, Stonewall Jackson was. He was an artillery man, and so I resonated with that because I was in the artillery when I was in the army. And so when he would talk about, you know, finding the most ideal position and place to put his cannons, and how he was going to position them against the Union troops, and so on. That was all fascinating to me. But that's not the kind of warfare he's talking about here. He's talking about virtually, not quite, but virtually hand-to-hand -hand combat. As a matter of fact, when he talks about the sword down here, he's not talking about the big long sword. He's talking about the short sword. So it's in close fighting. I mean, this, this, this is feeling the heat of battle. It's intense. It's like a wrestling match. You can feel the enemy's breath on you. You're so far deeply involved in the fight. And... He points out then what probably should be by this point for us, the obvious, it's not against flesh and blood. He says it's against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now it's hard for us I think, to imagine that our battle, as we walk here on this earth, is taking place 
in a spiritual realm. But that's what Paul's trying to tell us here. That this battle, through the agency of wicked men that we fight here on this earth, really has its source in heaven. It comes from Satan himself. Of course, we know that he works through men, just like God works through believers. He works through us. And he empowers us to work against such. These powers and principalities and rulers of the darkness of this world or this age. The word there is eon. It's this present age in which we live. What do you mean this present age? Well, this one as opposed to the age to come. And we saw that, you remember, back in chapter 3? You remember where we saw that? Back in chapter 3, we noted Paul's purpose of the ages, that he mentions God has in plan. God has a purpose of the ages in verses 10 and 11, 11 particularly. But down in verse 21... He says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, but it's actually generations, world without end. And again, literally we said that's unto the age of the ages. The age of the ages. It's this age to come. It is the life of the age to come. It is the millennial rule of the Lord Jesus Christ over this earth. And he says our battle, our wrestling, has to do with those principalities and powers and authorities who are standing in the way in this present age of darkness while we wait and I say don't mean wait in a lackadaisical sense like we're waiting over here just sitting down, taking it easy, just waiting for Jesus to come. Well, while we wait engaged in the battle for the Lord Jesus to return, for Satan to be cast down from his throne and the whole government of this earth turned upside down for righteousness and peace. Then, and only then, are we to take our armor off. The battle will be over then. There will be no more fighting. No more need to engage in spiritual warfare. All the host of heaven, these principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, will have been vacated from the heavens. They will not be there anymore. And we who have been seated with Christ in the heavenlies will now be able to enjoy then the peace that comes from the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ on his throne. He calls this here spiritual wickedness in high places. Now the word high places here is that familiar phrase we saw earlier, the heavenlies. We have been seated together in the heavenlies with Christ. 
But there, are, there is spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies as we speak. And these rulers and authorities and principalities have taken their place and their positions in these various spots, as it were, around the world, influencing and seeking out believers whom they can destroy. Or as Peter says, like a roaring lion, he goes about seeking whom he can destroy. Paul's metaphor, of course, is spiritual battle and not against the lion. But the idea is the same. If you don't feel like you've had any spiritual warfare to worry about, you really need to reassess your life. You really need to go back and think about where you are in your Christian walk. Because if you are not engaged in any spiritual warfare, that speaks volumes about where you are in your relationship with Christ. And we need to know that. Now, I've told you many times, and I hate to bring it up again, but, you know, I only have one life, and I've only had these experiences one time, you know, so it's what I have. But I remember after studying the Scriptures for many years and understanding these truths about what was to come for the Christian and the arrival of Christ's kingdom and what it was going to mean for those who were faithful to him and why we had to suffer and endure and have trials in our life and all these sorts of things. And, you know, I, and I, I prayed, Lord, I, don't, I just don't see where I've had a lot of problem in my life. It's been pretty smooth sailing. Now, I mean, for a long time, years and years and years. Well, I did this crazy thing, and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to get in the battle. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to have some trials. Oh, man, did I ever, <laughs> did I ever misunderstand what I was about to get myself into. But you know what? Without them, I, I would be nothing. Without those battles, without those trials, none of us would have the experience of the warfare that we are to be in and the running of the race that we are to endure in order to accomplish the end that Christ wants to bring us to so that we can reign with him in his kingdom. And the tragedy of the church today is, is too many just say, well, all you really need to worry about is just trust Jesus as your Savior and that's it. It's all over. And then you truly can just sit down there and take it easy, enjoy life, enjoy going to church, have a lot of fun, and experience all these wonderful things that we can do in church. And then when it's all over and the Lord comes or I die, then, boy, everything's great after that. Don't really have to be concerned that much about the judgment seat of Christ because it's all going to be positive. You know, we're all going to get our reward there no matter what. And it's a life of ease. And that's exactly the opposite of what I see in Scripture. And so many others do. Consequently, in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. You see that little phrase, take unto you? 
Well, that's aorist tense also. In first place, he said, put on. Here he says, take unto you. Or some other translations say, take up. In other words, go get your armor out of the armory or the storehouse, wherever they kept it. We, we, you know, we call it an armory. That's where you would go today, a, a soldier in the American uh, army would go to the armory to get, get his gear to fight his battle. So we go to the armory. I got that from Royce, by the way. We go and get our battle gear, and we get in the fight. We get in the fight in the sense of a wrestling match in order that we might be able to stand our ground. He says in verse 13, Take up or take unto you the whole armor of God. He repeats that same phrase. It's the same Greek word again. It means everything, all the armor that there is, that you may be able, empowered, the word able is empowered, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Well, not only is this a day, this present age, an age of darkness, but Paul calls it an evil day. So we can enjoy all the good blessings that God brings our way. It sure sounds pretty bad right here, what Paul's describing to us. It's almost like, you know, you don't really want to put a damper on these things. Because God has given us so many things to enjoy in this life. And I still do enjoy them. I just read the other day where Bluebell's coming back. Won't be long. <laughs> By the end of this month, it's supposed to be starting production, but it'll be a couple more months, they said, for after that, before it gets into grocery stores. I like my bluebell ice cream. I, I already know that. <laughs> as, a, as a rule, I break. <laughs> yes, we can enjoy some things. I, we have lots and lots of enjoyment and fun in this Christian life, but in a certain context. Engagement with this world is to be a, a warfare. Because engagement with this world, lining up with this world, means lining up with the rulers, the principalities, the powers, and those that are in the heavenly places who have the authority over the affairs of this earth right now. And we're to stay away from those things. And having done all, he says, to stand. To stand. That's all he asks of us. To stand. The victory has already been accomplished through the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
it is absolutely guaranteed that the devil will be removed from his throne. Satan's power will be stripped away. And he will have no more part in the affairs of this earth one day. That's the guarantee. In the present day, we are to engage in the warfare, knowing that the victory is ours, and standing our place, standing the ground of what we know to be the truth, and being well prepared for it. Now next week, I'm going to go through, and he's going to tell us about the kind of armor that we put on, and how this armor works in us to protect us and allow us to make that stand and to be effective in our Christian walk. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to express our gratitude for all you've done for each one of us in giving us the Lord Jesus Christ to lift our hearts and our soul in praise and thanksgiving for the activity of Jesus in our daily lives, for knowing that you have not left us stranded, but we have all the resources we need to walk this walk and to live this life, and that as we willingly, by our own volition, by an act of our own will, put this armor on, take it up and use it to the best of our ability to walk before our Lord Jesus Christ in honoring him. Lord, let us do so in a pleasing way, in a way that brings honor to his name, and in a way that makes it possible that one day you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let us be servants in the true sense of the word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.